Beyond Infinity. Piers Cunningham and Simon Mulvaney in the studio. G'day, Simon. Yeah, good morning, Piers. Simon, we've got uh, lots to talk about. We've been talking a little bit while we listen to some music about vaccine hesitancy, about uh, suggestions that uh, $300 inducements could be offered to people to try to encourage them to have the uh, the, the jabs and to uh, increase the, the level of protection that's offered by vaccines. And we've also been talking about some of the risks that are associated with that because um, you can still pass on the virus even though you've been vaccinated. You know, you look at the Tokyo Olympics and Tokyo's, you know, they've had, they've had quite significant numbers, daily numbers of the Delta variant circulating around in Tokyo, which is a very big city. It's, it's an enormous city. I think it's a, a population of about nearly 40 million people. So it's a really big but very spread out area. And then they've got the Olympic Games going on. And obviously the, the seats are painted in different colours. So if you don't see it in focus, it's, it's, you almost think that there's, there's crowds in the... Mm. in the stadiums and, and I think the people who are allowed in there the teams and stuff supporting the competitors on the field or in the pool or wherever it happens to be have been allowed to uh, sit in the stands and they make enough noise and maybe they're, maybe they're augmenting that with uh, pre-recorded crowd sounds or something that they play but uh, a great spectacle I mean I, I, I for one I don't know how you feel about it but I, I even though there are obviously risks in, in staging this kind of event uh, I, I do think that it's it's great that the Japanese went ahead with it. I think it. I mean, it, they put so much into preparing for 2020. It must be you know very very sad that they can't have this huge boost to tourism, which they would have been counting on, mm. and uh, and and the population involved and people able, able to go to these amazing facilities that they've built, uh, mostly purpose built or upgraded for the for the games. Very frustrating that, and and I would imagine a loss making in terms of the finances of it all but uh, I think it's great for the world to have this spectacle to see really elite athletes competing in this in this great event well on a personal level um, the last lockdown was particularly hard for me um, mm. with the local footy being cancelled and my son who's 11 years old he's got his 49th game he should have played his 50th he was very excited about it so mm. Mm. two games were cancelled there mm. I bet the Olympics has just made him shine, and I think they they've watched a couple of the swimming races at school, and yeah, he he's so buoyant and, and proud of it. So yeah, for the morale of the country, yeah, it's been uh, magnificent that they held it. Well, I think they're coming fourth. Um, so I think it's China, uh, US, Japan, and then Australia, which is the current rankings of medals, which is really good. And I think the the best that Australia's done in a, in an Olympics, I think it was third in the Sydney. Olympic Games, so it seems like Australia is doing very well. I mean, these 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 figures are going to change, I guess, over time because you know maybe there's certain events that we've done well in. Obviously, obviously one is swimming, mm-hmm. um, but uh, and that and that when the you know all the events are factored in and the games are over, hopefully we can stay up there in that you know in that sort of upper echelon of countries. But it's 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 pretty good. It's pretty well, per capita, people. you would think we'd be winning majorly, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? I haven't looked at the statistics there per capita of population, but you would think yeah. by by far we'd be winning. So. I'd say that's right. I'd yeah. have to be right. We're doing well on a, on a population on a per head basis, no doubt about it. And just, in, you know, it is inspiring and I think it's, it must be great for people all around the world to, to sort of be able to escape what they're going through because a lot of countries have really been hammered by either by lockdowns or by, you know, health systems that have been overrun, vaccines that haven't worked. And that is going to be something that Simon and I want to talk about is, is sort of vaccine hesitancy, where we're going with vaccine, uh, vaccines, vaccines. 
and um, and then you know some of the issues around that and, and one of them which we, we've touched on already Simon is is this business of you know by by taking uh, a vaccine you can and being fully so having the two doses of a, of a vaccine and we're talking for the purpose of this conversation we're talking about AstraZeneca and Pfizer they're the two that are widely available they are protecting people against bad symptoms and hospitalization themselves but they're not stopping them passing on the disease so they can be very contagious but uh, not not be showing symptoms which can be a real problem and that's one of that's that actually can happen whether you're vaccinated or not you can some people can not have symptoms and go about their lives don't get tested why would you and yeah, we had that big conversation of that scare th- stuff at the start about super spreaders and you might be young and healthy but carry the virus um, but now it could be someone vaccinated doing the same thing yeah indeed it is a tricky time that we find ourselves in. It's the Delta variant that's making the difference around the world. We were looking just off air before at some of the figures for um, overseas countries. I looked at Israel. Simon mentioned uh, Israel. They've had uh, they're, they're one of the highest vaccinated countries on earth, um, and they've had two and a half thousand new cases recorded in the last day. Uh, and if you go to America, which has got a pretty high number of uh, vaccinations that have been dispensed. Even in America, there's uh, you know very significant um, you know increases on a daily basis uh, in in this Delta variant that's uh, doing the rounds. So they've had 34 million cases in America through the course of the pandemic. They've very sadly had uh, 608,000 deaths, uh, but they have administered 341 million vaccine doses. Now. Their population, I think, it's about 300 million for America, for the United States. So that's not going to cover everyone. In fact, it's, it's, I think it's approximately half the population has been fully vaccinated with two doses. Uh, so they've got quite a long way to go. They, they, it'd be hard to argue that they've got to, to herd immunity yet. Just looking at their daily results for the United States, yeah, on August the 1st, which is what I'm, I'm getting from the COVID-19 WHO World Health Organization website, on August the 1st, they had 107,000, over 107,000 confirmed new cases. That's a daily increase of over 27,000, uh, which is which is uh, nearly 35% increase from the day before. So this is a, you know, this is the Delta variant that's being seen. You can only imagine what, what, what those figures would look like if, if there hadn't been the level of vaccination that there has been. It's coming back. It's got a lot of people concerned. The UK will be really interesting to see how they go with um, with because they've had their, they've opened up. They had sort of Freedom Day. I think, I think and a while so ago. far so good. I think they're thanking the vaccine for that, but um, time will tell there, I suppose. Um, but the interesting thing with Israel is, I think now they're saying um, that you might need a, a third dose of the Pfizer and you know a booster shot every year. Um, That's right. So I mean, I think they've been saying that for a while that the the, the the virus will be like the you know there'll be an equivalent to a flu shot that you have and it might even be incorporated with the flu shot that you get to sort of protect you and they they basically sample the because they're seasonal so they sample the, the winter flu that goes around as they've been doing for years and they offer you a vaccine to protect you it's based on what's been going around hmm. and i mean i don't know about you but not many people have had the flu that i've known about uh, in in a long long time because of because we were closed you know yeah and and uh, the last time I had the flu I think um, was about four years ago but it knocked me so you know before COVID came out but I've never been so sick um, yeah. but yeah yeah I don't know anyone who's 
personally who's had the flu mm. um, in a long time. That's right. So, so I, I do know one person who's had COVID. Um, I, yeah, she she was living in New York and um, and she said it wasn't the worst flu that she'd ever had. Um, mm. But um, yeah, since then she um, she's actually just flown out of here to go back to New York. She was talking about while we're in lockdown, how all her friends over there were were partying like never before. Funny that the attitude that Americans have, friends, uh, has come out from the states, and uh, uh, I think he's in the Midwest, but he's in Victoria, and, and he's experienced the lockdowns we've had. I think at least one of them, the one, most recent one, that went for two weeks and finished last Tuesday for for Greater Melbourne, and uh, I think it was actually probably for the whole state. And he said he just couldn't believe it over you know the the, the minuscule number of cases, and because obviously they're hardened to a very different situation in America, and and I think. I think uh, I think Brett Sutton and you might know more about this, but I think he said that beyond once you go beyond about a hundred new cases per day, I think it becomes almost impossible to contact trace. One thing that he was saying, so so they wouldn't bother about contact tracing in in uh, in, in America at the moment, for example. Well, you think Sydney are in hot water there with their numbers then. Yep, mm. indeed. So United Kingdom, we touched on before, on August the 1st, they had 25,000 new cases with a, a, a decrease, 11% decrease in uh, the daily rate. And their peak from recent times was in sort of mid-July when they were getting about nearly 50,000 thereabouts cases per day of Delta, Delta variant. So funnily enough, since opening up, their numbers are actually falling. Mm. So a lot of eyes will be on the UK. Uh, they're still they're still vaccinating people, and they're bringing in things like. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you get if you if you fall ill with COVID over there, you do get asked to isolate. Like like Shane Warren, Shane Warren, our mm. spin king, he's contracted it over there, and he's got to go into isolation, and he can't do his normal coaching role and stuff uh, in cricket over there. So uh, it can happen to anyone. They are still trying to get, I think it's younger people they're focusing on now because younger people have been the ones who have perhaps been harder to convince. And they're also the ones who are more likely to be active socially and uh, in environments where they can, you know, you can get these super spreading events like, um, I don't know, like big soccer games or nightclubs or you festivals, know, out festivals yeah. exactly. All that sort of stuff is, is, is potentially going on. I'm not sure how much of it they're, they're prepared to go ahead with, but... UK, you know, it's been a pretty battering 18 months of pandemic over there. They've had uh, nearly 6 million, 5.88 million confirmed cases, almost 130,000 deaths. Very different to Australia, but I think it will be an interesting place to to monitor and just see what actually happens given that they've opened up as they have, because that's what they're talking about with for Australia. Well, yeah, according to my friend in New York, we, we were the laughing stock in, in, in terms of they're allowed to do stuff again and um, we've got barely any cases, but when will that ever change for us? When will we totally open up if if it doesn't flush through the system and we never consider it to be endemic? Indeed. Piers Cunningham and Simon Mulvaney with you. We've been talking COVID and we will be continuing to uh, chew over some of the stuff that's been in the news lately. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Simon, you were lucky enough to, to get up to Far north New South Wales before the lockdown hit? Yeah, Byron Bay. Well, I had planned to go there for, I think, a week and a half. But yeah. um, four days into the trip, it was pretty ominous. 
the situation in Sydney. Mm. Um, so it didn't make it made the holiday a bit anxious, as you can imagine. Mm. And um, so we cut our our journey short. And um, I thought, and my sister sort of talked me into going back. Really, I thought we could, you know, hang out for a few more days. But then it was declared a red zone while we were on the plane going back. Right. So I was the last flight that um, was got, allowed out of there. Yeah, wow, from Ballina. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And you know, the, the, when we got off the plane, it was you know very forensic the way um, that we were dealt with by the medical security guards or or whatever. So they they were going through us, you know, exactly where where we'd been, where we were staying, and um, and then we had to get that negative test. Oscar could go back to school. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of people, um, there was something in the, I was reading last night, someone who, a uh, family that had got up to New South Wales, they were moving, uh, sorry, Queensland, they were relocating up there and they were really, they just felt like they'd been treated like criminals and they wound up with big, I think they had $14,000 worth of fines, an elderly couple who were moving wow. to regional uh, Queensland from Victoria and they hadn't sort of fully understood what the restrictions were and where they could cross and what they could do legally pretty hard to navigate because it's changing and, a and lot. if they didn't have a phone like you have to fill out a permit before coming back in it's easy for us now but um for some of those elderly people i really feel for them simon you were just talking uh before we cut to the news about uh, what had happened with um your trip up in byron bay and and you know one of the things that would be is very frustrating for people with these sort of rolling lockdowns and uh you know chopping and changing of of border restrictions and so on when you just can't reliably make a booking and people are desperate to have a holiday they've been you know not allowed not allowed to go overseas for a long time and and there's been um all sorts of restrictions placed on them so it is frustrating isn't it yeah, you even got the local ski fields here. I don't know how they're surviving. Yeah. Um, being on and off and, yep. um, you, you know, the obvious one of, of going to the football as well um, yep. with finals coming up. Like these are things that give people meaning and joy in their lives. Um, you know, I think we did a great job, absolutely really great job in the first couple of lockdowns. Um, uh, you know the kids were riding around on their BMXs and and getting fit and and stuff. But um, after the fifth lockdown, it certainly um, it, you know become, becoming a lot harder to plan those things out. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I've got a friend who's I think he's he's uh, he's tried three different um, bookings and all of them have been cancelled. That's just travelling, trying to travel within Australia. It is frustrating. It's also, I mean, just think of the impact on the on these, um, you know, these destinations that have got a, you know, generally they have to refund your money. Um, I think airlines give you a credit if you if you don't if you're not able to use because of COVID lockdowns, if you're not able to use a, an airfare that you've booked. Um, but yeah, it's it is a tricky time to organise a reliable holiday anywhere these days, and um, I think it is very frustrating for people. And uh, I think obviously what what um, what people would be trying to do is to to be as flexible as possible with the arrangements you make. So when you book something, you know you you, you want to speak to the owners or the the people who who run the place you're going to, and and just sort of you know ask the question, you know how what what happens if I get locked down, you know, and what's your cancellation? Well, that's policy? one of the reasons I'd. Still Still went through with Byron Bay because we couldn't get out of the booking. Right. Yeah, we, we, we threw caution to the wind, I guess. Mm. Um, and we're very fortunate. We had four days of lovely sunshine and, and the surf was really good. Mm. Um, but to have that 
over our heads the whole time that we could get locked in yeah it, it took the shine off it and, and made it a lot more stressful and um even further than that you've got areas now like tasmanian and tasmania and, and wa that seem like they're going to have more of an opportunity to keep themselves COVID free mm. um what what will happen in 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 the long term um it, it, to those states they would they'll be sort of like different countries in the end if um if we can't get a hold of of it in sydney that's right and you know there's even been talk about how sydney could become this place where uh you know they send all of the new arrivals from overseas with those potential um, new cases that get introduced because this is obviously what's happened this is the problem with lockdowns mm-hmm. is that you you know you, you eliminate and you have this huge cost and and um impact of eliminating or really getting your numbers down very very low and, and in a sort of contained form uh and then you're only as good as the next plane load and and you know that the sydney outbreak came from a limo driver you know picking up some people uh, and uh, and and then and, and then picking it up from uh, from someone on, you know in transit between a quarantine hotel and Sydney Airport, and that seeded this thing that's that's you know now proving very very hard to control. And one one you know possible scenario that I that I heard um, it was actually Norman Swan who was who was sort of talking about it just as a scenario. He wasn't saying this is going to what ha- should happen at all, but. Uh, he was saying, you know, it, it, it's it, it potentially that if, if things got quite bad and, and proved to be very hard to rein in, in in Greater Sydney, that that's where you then bring in all your international arrivals and you kind of designate that as the sort of COVID part of Australia. Well, I'm not sure there'd be many people in, in Sydney who'd like the, the sound of that, um, but that's maybe where things are headed. You know, there's all sorts of what ifs. Um, but what we have seen, we're talking about the, the figures overseas of, of this Delta variant, and even in countries which have had quite high uh, levels of vaccination, it is, uh, it is coming back in, in quite a big way. There's this sort of uptick in the number of and, and it's affecting children. Exactly, um, it's affecting so, children. And, yeah. and I also read recently um, that, that uh, sort of early results, uh, are because it's only really kind of been around and, and to be able to be studied since early this year, uh, the Delta variant, um, but they're saying that it could actually be 30% more deadly um, because one of the things we know, it's, we know it's two to three times more contagious than earlier variants. And that's what's making Sydney so much harder to deal with, unlike the lockdown in Melbourne. See, I'd heard it was more contagious, but less deadly. In, well, no. and, or maybe that might be because the treatments have got a lot better for treating people um, with, with COVID. But Yes, look... At, th- at, and, and a lot of people who, who probably did die overseas had compromised immune systems at the same time. So mm. I don't know if it was um, the main cause of their, their, their death. Yeah, that's right. Did you die of it or, or with it? Co- comor- Comorbidities. Yeah. Well, co- yeah. So look, there's, there's lot, one of the things that's difficult about all this is there's lots of science to try to get your head around, isn't there? And, mm. and you know, we, we said off air that, you know, unless you're a, uh, an immunologist or, or, you know, an epidemiologist by training or at least a, um, a, a medico, it's quite hard to really wrap your head around sort of what is a, a very fluid situation with, you know, new data that needs to be collected about the Delta variant to actually know the answer to that. Is it more deadly than earlier variants? And we don't have a lot of, well, it's only since earlier this year that that it's been out there in the wild uh and so i guess some of that data is yet to be collated yeah and i've got a friend um he's got a a job opportunity in new york and um he's he's very i guess vaccine hesitant is what you would call him Mm. he went to a, a gp and um he's i've heard he'd been reading up on research about 
uh, tablet, I think it came out in the 30s or 40s, called ivermectin. Right. I think they use this, it's an anti-parasitic drug, um, and they're using it um, as a prophylactic, I think, so um, for frontline workers. And what he was saying was when India was surging ahead and, and Mexico, the doctors there had neither choice but to to prescribe anything they thought that might work. Mm. And they just found that, um, anecdotally, they were having really good results with this ivermectin. Right. Which is, which is actually a medication used to treat parasitic um, infestations, things like head lice, scabies, and uh, river blindness, whatever that is. It's used in veterinary medicine as well to prevent and treat heartworm, uh, things like that. So, so kind of a completely different drug, but which which may have some beneficial and, effects. And, and it's out of patent, mm. so not so much money and, can be made out of it. And I yeah. think it's you know one of the major things they probably have to use in those factory farms where animals are kept close together. Mm. I guess what they're alluding to is there's not much effort going into these past medicines because they're so cheap. So then it's big pharma and the profits that are potentially to be made there. And it's, it's worth noticing, uh, noting on that, on that score that AstraZeneca is being done in a way that's not for profit. So that they've obviously sold it around the world, but they've sold it in a way that just covers the development costs and the production costs. Um, there's, there's not a profit uh, in the distribution, the worldwide distribution of AstraZeneca, which is a good thing. I know that uh, President Biden... Uh, has come out earlier this year and said that he he was strongly in favour of of the Pfizer uh, vaccine being made available in a way that was without you know so that the kind of like open source you know mm-hmm. made made available so that it could be copied without needing to pay royalties that sort of stuff to try to make it as ch- as as cheap as possible for the broadest number of people around the world. I think at the start that was what all was sort of agreed on let's let's get this done with and all the brains work together and we'll share the information but i think we touched on it before india were asking for those blueprints and and um when when covid was skyrocketing there and Mm. they they weren't handed over yeah well i think the argument from pfizer has been that the mrna technology i think it's moderna as well the mrna technology that's behind those two vaccines can be used for other things for example treating cancer uh, and, and actually curing cancer. So they're kind of, it's a breakthrough technology that's been used to develop those vaccines, the Moderna and Pfizer. And their argument is, and you don't necessarily need to accept it as, as valid, but their argument is that, that, that why should they have to give away those other, like by giving it away, by, by making it free for Pfizer, they're potentially uh, giving up uh, what they could be making out of those other uses. Now, look, it's it's... It's pretty controversial stuff because you know that we're in a global pandemic, and if there was ever a time for big pharma to be generous, uh, this is this is the time that it's needed. That at least with AstraZeneca, it is being done in that in that not-for-profit way. I'm not sure what the latest is on, on the Pfizer and Moderna front, but um, you know if you look at the share price of, uh, of Pfizer, for example, I think it's rocketing. You know, I think yeah, 46 percent this year, maybe. You know, I, I just mentioned earlier that I tried to go for a ski for the first time in a couple of years. 
Victorian slopes were all closed, or mainly closed last year due to uh, isolation and, and restrictions and uh, and also it was actually not a great season last year, but it's a better season this year. So I was thinking to myself I'd head up there. So you've got to get tested and you've got to get tested within 72 hours of arriving at the bottom of the mountain to go up to Mount Buller. It's the same at other ski resorts, Hothman Falls, same deal. This is a you know with a view to keeping the place kind of as, as COVID-free as possible. Obviously, there's there's a bit of an issue because if you've had it if you had, if you had it done three days before, you might have come into contact and contracted it between when the test was done and when you entered the mountain. But I'm not going to question the logic behind that. So this is what I did. I, I I on the Tuesday morning I went and got a COVID test, and I was expecting to get that about you know within 24 to 48 hours, which was going to line up nicely uh, with getting up early on Thursday morning and getting up the mountain to go for a ski on Thursday, and. I still didn't have the test result. It was sort of getting up to, you know, 36 plus hours since I'd had the test done, rang the, the, the hotline to see where the, the result was. And they said they didn't have any record of, of it so far, but it you know, had to allow up to 72 hours. So thinking, oh, this is not looking good. Anyway, I thought I'll, it'll probably turn up. So I, I headed up. Then I still didn't have it. I got to Mansfield, stopped for a coffee at Mansfield early on Thursday morning and thought, oh, look, it's got to be arriving any minute. Rang the same hotline. No, we, we still don't have a record, but you've got to allow 72 hours. So with things looking the way they were, you know, I was thinking maybe I'm not going to get up there for a ski on Thursday. Then at about, I think at about 10.30 that morning, I got a call from a pathology lab in Melbourne that was supposed to be doing my test. And they actually said, look, it's an inconclusive test result. Uh, which basically means that they didn't have enough of a sample out of my nose and throat to be able to sort of pass certain thresholds that they need to make a, a correct or satisfactory determination that I was COVID negative. So unfortunately for me, uh, that meant that I had to get retested. So I went along to the showgrounds, which is a pop-up testing site they've got in Mansfield and had the test done. I think that was probably about 11, 11.30 in the morning on Thursday. I was supposed to be skiing by that time, but these are the way things go. You got to roll with these things. And I did the test and I told them what had happened and they were very nice about it. And uh, in fact, the pathology lab had been very sympathetic as well. And uh, they did agree to, that they would do their best to fast track the result and get it back to me. Now, I've got a friend up there anyway in Mansfield, so I caught up with him. That was all good. Then, unfortunately, uh, watching the news a bit later in the day, it was declared that there was going to be a statewide lockdown, so I wouldn't be able to go up. I had been thinking, because I got my test result at about about the same time as the lockdown was kicking in, about 8 o'clock that night, I had been thinking I'd get the result and drive up the mountain that night and then ski Friday. But uh, unfortunately, that was not to be. The ban was declared. My negative result came back, but I couldn't take advantage of that. So it was uh, back to good old Melbourne town for me, which was a bit disappointing, but these are the sort of things that happen. And I, I was thinking to myself, I was musing with a friend who I, you know, over a coffee in Mansfield that, you know, if I'd said two years ago that I'd driven up to go for a ski uh, for the day and was not allowed, was that the lifts were running, there were people up there skiing, but I was not allowed to pass the toll gate at the bottom of the mountain. What would the possible reason or explanation be? I don't think anyone on the planet would have predicted that it was a worldwide pandemic and that was the reason that I wasn't allowed to go up there. Well, that was the, the kind of core reason, the underlying reason. So, 
yeah, we live in we live in changed times. You know, things have changed irrevocably, and uh, I think that you know we're going to be feeling the effects of this. Future generations are going to be feeling the effects of this, if not the virus itself. Hopefully, not the virus itself, but uh, but certainly the economic and social changes that flow from the COVID pandemic. These are unprecedented times. We all do need to kind of stick together and uh, try to maintain a positive outlook and uh, you know keep doing the things that uh, are best to try to limit the extent of long lockdowns really you know in my opinion i know everyone doesn't agree with this but my opinion is that we should all be getting vaccinated as soon as possible there are reasons to uh, to actually be needing to accelerate the rate at which we vaccinate because there is the potential for other uh, strains to come along and the best protection we've got against them is uh, to be vaccinated with one of the vaccines that are available now. There's lots of AstraZeneca. Uh, we're making it in Melbourne at the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories. I think you know, in the order of a million or 1.2 million doses are being produced. There are uh, other vaccines that are coming online. Moderna, which is an mRNA technology vaccination similar to Pfizer in the te- underlying technology, has just been approved by the Therapeutics Good Administration in Australia and will be available from September via pharmacies. So that should make it easier to get hold of that vaccine. So that's good news. The numbers in New South Wales aren't great. It seems to be spreading out into the regions of New South Wales. Again, there's debate about mask wearing, there's debate about 5k rules all that sort of stuff that uh, you know is a slightly different path that's been followed in this uh, by the New South Wales authorities I think that point scoring that sort of stuff I think is absolutely ridiculous and and uh, achieves nothing uh, and we've all got to work together and I do think actually that the state border situation in Australia is lamentable and that we are supposed to be a commonwealth we're supposed to have we had federation in 1901 uh, which which basically stopped all the different states, which were colonies up till then, um, acting independently, and it brought in the federal central government, which is based in Canberra. Now, for me, my personal opinion is that we need to address, after this pandemic is sorted out, we do need to address the inconsistencies and the problems which happen with border closures around Australia. And if you live up around um, Albury or Wagga or Wodonga, that part of the uh, the border between New South Wales and Victoria, I reckon you'd agree with this. This is uh, really a very, very tricky situation for people who are used to living, you know, straddling the border, which was, you know, up until recent times, a soft border. So regional Victoria is relaxed now, which is a great thing. So in fact, the ski fields can start turning their lifts, I believe, from today. Only is open to locals or, or people who exi- who are in the regions who found them who were in the regions prior to the lockdown. So uh, that's a good thing, and uh, it's a bit of a lifeline, or well, potential lifeline for those battered business operators in our ski fields who took a hammering last year and have. Had a hammering this year as well with lockdowns. I think the two-week lockdown we had, the last one before the one we're in, I believe that cost that was estimated to cost operators of uh, businesses in the ski fields about 15% or more of their seasonal take, the potential for profits. So these lockdowns are devastating to business, not just the ski fields, but all around the place on the peninsula as well. And On the subject of the peninsula, it is unfortunate and controversial that the Mornington Peninsula is included in Greater Melbourne so that we are in lockdown. We're 100 k's from Melbourne uh, on average, maybe a bit less where I am in Mornington right now, but if you head down, that's by road, by the way, 60 k's across the water. 
it's a peninsula, so surely you can cut it off, you know, you can draw a line, you can block off a few roads and fairly easily restrict movement uh, from Greater Melbourne down onto the Mornington Peninsula. But this is something that was talked about last year a lot during lockdown, that extended 100 plus day lockdown we endured. Uh, Geelong is out of lockdown, Queenscliff, two kilometres from Point Nepean is out of lockdown, but the peninsula is not. So if you get a chance, there's um, petitions online about this to try to separate us and make us regional and I, I really I for one do think that that should happen not just because of lockdowns there are other reasons to be regional as well you're listening to beyond infinity, beyond infinity. thanks for listening remember to visit our program website beyondinfinity.com.au where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts that's beyondinfinity.com.au